0: Evening, church. Evening, church. Okay. Have you ever had this feeling where you just know when someone comes to you, they just absolutely love you? But at the same time, sometimes you know that they come to you because they want something from you. Do you ever can distinguish that, that feeling? For, for some of you, that it might be that one friend. Or others of you, it, it might be your, your sibling. Or for a few of the adults here, it would be your kids. Now, I have two younger sisters, and I think I spoil them quite a bit. Uh, I love them and all. I, I live in Perth. Well, they live in Brisbane. Okay, so I'm, in here, here, I'm at Perth for work. Um, but I remember two years ago, we met in Melbourne for a holiday together. So we explored the city. We had so much fun. But then the holiday was ending. It's time to go back home. And what happens is, too, one of my sisters, she, she starts crying, she starts tearing up, and she's like, Vindo, give me a hug. She's just a crybaby, and I'm like, all right, I'll give you a hug. you know. So then I hug her. And then Dow, my younger sister, she was upstairs, and she sees what's happening, and she's like, oh, Vindo, you have to give me a hug too, and she runs down out of jealousy, and she hugs me as well. And I also gave my brother a hug and he's like, get off me. (laughs) I know my siblings just love me. I just know. But sometimes I also know they they come to me because they want something off me. This is especially true for my two sisters. Especially when they come to me and their head is, is 45 degrees. I'm like, man, you need a chiropractor for that. They're, the way that they're speaking to me, it's, a, it's like a tone, a pitch higher than usual. And they're like, Vindo? And, and they're like blinking their eyes and I'm like, what? And they're like, can you take us shopping? Something like that along those lines. And, and if you know me well, I'm dominant. I'm boss. Because I'm the eldest in this family. I'm in control. And do you know how I respond to those situations? Okay. (laughs) Why? Because it's not like I don't have time to spend with them. It's not like I don't have money to spend on them. Plus, I do enjoy my quality time with them. And I'm just reflecting. Isn't this funny? Isn't this true? How This is sometimes how we approach God. Like I know from my personal experience, God, I, I need this. God, I need that. God, can you help me with this? God, can you? God, can you? God, can you? And you know what? I don't think God's too angry about this sort of thing. Because, you know, sometimes he, he knows exactly what we're doing. He knows that we're coming to him and we're cozying up to him because we want something from him. But again, I don't think he gets that angry about it. Matthew 7 verse 11, it says, If you who are evil knows how to give good gifts to your children, how much more so would your heavenly Father give good gifts to those who ask Him? So if you want to pray for parking church, go ahead and pray, because there's nothing too small for God. Now, if it's a bigger problem, let's say you want good grades. (laughs) I'm just kidding. (laughs) Go ahead and ask for it. Now, if it's a life crisis, if you're in some sort of trouble, a life and death situation, yeah, definitely cry out for help because He is the source of our strength. He is the source of our wisdom in whom we should rely on. Go ahead and ask God. Asking a gracious God is not the problem. The problem is our lack of gratitude. I'll say that again. Asking a gracious God is not the problem, but our lack of attitude is the problem. And when we lack gratitude towards God, we're actually losing out on something. Now, what are we losing out? We'll we'll explore further on through this passage. But before we even get into the passage, would you pray with me? Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, we ask that you send your Holy Spirit here. Illuminate your word for us. Show us how beautiful Jesus is. We thank you. We love you. And we want to glorify you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So the Bible starts off. So we're looking at Luke chapter 17, verses 11 to, to 19. So if you have your Bibles, turn it with me. Uh, it's, it's up on the screen. It says that Jesus was on his way to Jerusalem, traveling between Samaria and Galilee. Geographically, in other words, he's traveling on the outskirts of town. Now what you're going to find in the outskirt of town is you're going to find outcasts. It's just natural. So did Jesus just stumble upon this place? No, I don't think so. I think he came here with a reason, with a purpose. He knew exactly where he was going. Imagine this, if you were the 12 disciples who's traveling along with Jesus, because they follow Jesus everywhere, and, and, and it seems like, oh man, Peter, you know where we're going? It seems like we're going to whoop whoop. This is nowhere. And then suddenly there appear, appear some shacks. And then what they see is they see danger signs beware, keep out, biohazard signs, danger zone. But instead, to their grass and horror, instead of Jesus avoiding it or turning back or, or, or sidestepping that little town, Jesus walked straight towards it. And it was a town for the lepers. No, they were shocked and they were horrified. Now, for you to even appreciate this passage, you need to understand what lepers are. Now, if you're a first century person living in that day and age, you would have been shocked and horrified. You'd be running away as well. Because once you're deemed a leper, there's a special place for you. Where it's an area where they can isolate you, where people can avoid you, where people where you just stay there. Out of society, out of reach. Now leprosy is a horrible skin disease that affects your your lips, your nose, your toes, your fingers, your limb starts falling off and it deforms your face with pus and tumours, people would look at you with disgust. Now, you can turn away now if you want, because these images, when I was searching on Google, was horrific. But if you like that sort of thing, you go ahead. So PowerPoint guy, can, this is what it will transform you to. Back then, leprosy, there was no cure. Once you catch it, you're just waiting to die. Also, this bacteria eats away at your voice box. At Oikos Church, we have a lot of good singers like Gershom, Chris, Jeremy, Sue in Canada now at the moment. But we have these angelic voice, Kartika. But imagine them losing their voice. Their voice becomes coarse, harsh and eerie and shrieky. That's what happens when you get leprosy. Leprosy becomes your identity. And what that means, that means you're never allowed to go back into town. You're never allowed to go back into a church or a temple to worship your God anymore. And that also means you have to stay away from your family. So if you have kids, you can't hug them no more. If you haven't realized, I'm sick right now. You can just hear it from my voice. I'm sick. And so for the last few days, you know what? I can't even kiss my pregnant wife because I'm scared that I might infect her. And we've been sleeping in separate rooms at the moment. And, and what I miss the most is, okay, so for me, this is what happens in the new in bed. No, it's not going to get sexual. It's, it's pretty cute. <laughs> <laughs> so what happens is me, I, I sleep on my right side. And you know what? My wife also sleeps on her right side. And so what happens is... Her, her stomach is, is, is just touching my back. And one of the joys of fatherhood is when you feel that little baby kicking you. Like saying, Daddy, Daddy, I'm here. And, and I missed that feeling for the last few days because I'm sick. But I know I'm going to get better and I'm going to get back to it. But for these lepers, it was no more. They would never see their family ever again. They become total outcasts now if these lepers try to sneak back into, into town and, and if they get caught what happens is women and children seeing a face like that they will start running and screaming and these righteous men these pharisees will start picking up these rocks and stone the lepers to try to drive them away and in that situation they get deemed the hero and the lepers are the villains So it would be normal for a public execution to take place because these lepers have broken the law. They're meant to stay away instead of coming back into civilization. Because lepers, what the teaching at that time was that lepers, they believed to be cursed by God. That's why they receive no mercy from God. So if God doesn't give them mercy, then why should us men give them mercy? Leprosy was so contagious, that if someone, uh, uh, a Pikachu on you, (laughs) if they sneezed on you, and if they had leprosy and some of their saliva touches you, you would catch leprosy. That's how contagious it was. It would have been so scary just to be in the presence of one leper, but here there's 10 of them. 10 of them. Waking up one day, thinking it's just any other day. Thinking they're just going to pass this day. It's going to be uneventful. It's going to be spent in sheer silence. But yet in this instance, they see on the horizon a man and a group walking towards them. And they're confused, asking what's going on. And instead, this man, instead of avoiding their town, walks through the entrance and this man's gaze at them was very different from how other people would look at them. There was no fear. There was no disgust. And as he walked closer, they stood at a, it, the Bible says they stood at a distance. According to the Levitical law, it would have been four steps away. And they were yelling. The Bible says they were yelling at the top of their voices, Master! have mercy on us. Lifting their heads as high as possible, straining every inch of their strength, straining their voices as much as their vocal cords can handle at that time. Master, have mercy on us. We know that you're a miracle maker. We know that you can heal us. We heard of your reputation. We need your help. Have mercy on us. Because they lived in a society where they were the walking illustration of sin and of a curse. They were the divine personification of judgment and and hopelessness. No wonder why they cried out in urgency, so desperate, so exasperately. They were, according to even Jehovah's, they were walking dead men. Dead men Walking. And I wonder tonight if anyone in the church relate to these 10 men. You're feeling so deprived of hope. You're, you're desperate for help. You're in some sort of trouble. Some, you have this sort of internal turmoil. You, it's causing you sleepless nights. It, it, it's ticking you off. It's making you have anxiety and stress. And you're just lashing out in response to everyone around you. And you feel like you're at the epicenter of an earthquake. You're in the middle of a hurricane. Or you're just feeling like you're in deep waters and you're about to drown and you're about to suffocate. Can you relate? Is your souls also crying out, Jesus, have mercy on me? And let's see what Jesus does here. He doesn't heal them straight away, does he? Unlike in Luke chapter 5, when Jesus met another leper, leper, this isn't the first time he met lepers. In that chapter, in chapter 5, Jesus just touches that leper and the man gets healed straight away. But, But what happens here? All Jesus says is, go and show yourself to the priest. Go and show yourself to the priest. Man, that sounds cold. That sounds brutal. It almost sounds like, why me? It's not my problem. You go show yourself. That's the priest's job. If you haven't noticed, Jesus doesn't even mention or say that, okay, I'll heal you if you go to the priest. No, no, no. There was no mentioning of a promise that he'll heal them at all. All he says is, go, show yourselves to the priest. What does that even mean? Do we even understand the weight of what Jesus has said? Jesus is telling them to do something pretty dangerous. They could have lost their lives walking back into town, risking that people picking up stones and stoning at them. Jesus doesn't even promise them I'll heal you. And so, if they walked towards the priest and they're unhealed, they would have been publicly executed. Go show yourself to the priests. They could have heard it go die. It is a very almost cold and brutal, harsh statement that Jesus said here. But even so, it's, the Bible tells us these 10 men, they started walking. Now, that's, that's very different from us nowadays, isn't it? If God tells us to do something, we may ask, why? Okay, we always ask, why? If God says, go there, we will say, why, God? And what we do is we also wait for an answer. We're waiting for a reply. We're waiting for something like, okay, if you go there, that's the answer to your prayer. Oh, okay, that's, okay, so I'll go there then. That's how we like it, don't we? Now, some of us, we even take it to the next level and say, hey, now nah, Jesus, you heal me first, then I'll go there. Or some of us go, no, uh, no, 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 God, you, you want me to tithe? No, no, no. You show me the money first. You give me a good, high-paying job or win the lottery, then I'll give to your church. Oh, God, I'm not going to serve your church until you give me good grades. Then I will reserve some time to serve at your church. But if we look at this passage here, there was no bargaining. There was no questioning. They just, the 10 guys, they were just so desperate. They just like, okay, if if this Jesus said so, we'll just do so. And they started walking. Now, you don't see this in the English text, but in the Greek text, it it, it shows us that they gradually walked. They slowly walked, and it says they slowly got healed. Now, I don't know how far they walked. I don't know how long they walked. I don't know how close they got to their destination before they saw signs of healing. Like as they walked was their scabs covering up with, with new skin, smooth skin. Were their, their lost limbs just popping out? And I'm just speculating here. Were they looking around each other and saying, Hey, you have such a big nose, Voldemort. I don't have a nose. Oh my goodness, I have a nose. <laughs> or was someone who lost their lips touching their lips? Oh man, this is a bit extra, but I have luscious lips as Jay-Z now. I don't know what's been going on, but as they gradually walk towards this temple, I reckon they would have sped up. Some of them might have been just running towards this temple, running towards these priests because they are seeing a miracle on their bodies. As every step that they take, there is a miracle happening in their bodies. There would have been joy and celebration within these 10 men because they knew the implication of their healing. I get to own Property again. I get my identity back again. I, I get to go to church and, and be in a community again. I get to see my family again my wife, my kids, my parents, and my friends. I get to see them all again. I don't have to be alone. I am not rejected no more. I'm accepted. They knew the implication, and this will be so much joy and celebration. And something extraordinary happens, church. Ten goes this way, but only one realizes, one, the light bulb's shining right at his face on his head. And he realizes I, I need to go back. Ten goes that way, but only one comes back. Before we can even condemn those nine, we must look at ourselves. How often does something good happen to us, we quickly forget about God. You've been praying for a girlfriend or boyfriend and the moment you get that girlfriend or boyfriend, you're spending more time with him or her and you're not even spending any time with Jesus. Maybe you've, you've been praying for a job and you finally got that job and you know what? You've been spending more time pleasing your boss rather than your heavenly master. Some of you may say, Jesus, I just got a pay rise. I just got promoted. My business just finally took off. Let me celebrate first. Let me pop open a few bottles. Let me party first before I go back and thank you. And most of the time you even forget to thank him, to show any gratitude to him. Some of you may say, God, I just got married. Let me romanticize my wife first. They say, happy wife, happy life. But let me remind you about the author of life, the giver of life, and the sustainer of life. With that all being said, go and enjoy your relationship. Go and enjoy your money, your car, your house, your spouse. But just don't forget the one who provided all that. All good things points to a source and a provider. All good gifts points to a good giver. Out of the 10, only one returns. And I wonder as he is turning back, I wonder what type of doubts entered his mind. I don't know. I'm just speculating here. Was it, wait, wait, didn't Jesus tell me to go see the priest? If I come back now, would that be disobeying him? If I start walking back, would I revert back into my old leper self? What, I've, I've been traveling quite a long while now. What if Jesus isn't even there anymore? And he knew the implication of what he's doing by turning back. He could have—he's risking his life, all of his life, his community, his family, his, his everything. But he's risking that all because he's, he wants to come back and show some gratitude towards Jesus. He's—he's he's in the sense all in, coming back to Jesus. And the amazing thing is when he got back to Jesus, Jesus then say, Oi, didn't I tell you to go see the priests? What, what are you doing here? No, no, he doesn't do that. Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus even asked, Hey, where's the other nine? Jesus tells ten to go there, but he commends the one who comes back here. Why? Because only one realizes who Jesus really was. Look at the reaction of the leper. Verse 15. Verse 15, it says, He came back glorifying God loudly. Now that word loudly, he he must have just gotten his voice back, but that word loudly, it literally means he went nuts. He went crazy, cray, cray, hysterical. He went local, mumbo-jokal, I don't know. Wild, yelling at the top of his lungs giving gratitude towards God, and he falls beneath the feet of Jesus and he thanked him. Jesus, thank you. Jesus, thank you. Because he realized who Jesus really was. Hey, the miracle, it's all good and all, but it's nothing compared to the miracle giver. Yeah, I'm, I have mad respect for the priest, but but he can't do this. He, he can't do this. Jesus, it, it's about, it's about you, isn't it? And Jesus is looking at him and saying, "It's true." Jesus, you're you you're God, aren't you? I am. Go back to verse seventeen. Jesus says, "Only a foreigner came back to praise God." Who was the leper thanking? Who was the leper praising? Jesus. So this passage is a sneaky way of saying, Jesus is God. Then Jesus says, your faith has made you well. Now, whenever you read that phrase in the New Testament, it's also another sneaky way way that Jesus is saying, I have made you well. Because if you have good theology, you'd know that you can't have faith unless, unless Jesus gives you faith to believe. So, and, and also that word, well, in the Greek, it means whole. It means your faith, I, Jesus, have made you whole and perfect. That's how you can read it. Church, only God can fulfill that, that God-shaped whole within your very soul. And, and yes, the other nine, they, they got a physical, outer healing. But only this man got a spiritual a healing inside and out. Physical healing, spiritual healing. I think he got the better deal. Why? Because he went back to show gratitude towards God, towards Jesus. That's a better deal than those 9. Those 9, yes, they got cleansed and get back into the community with with their people. But this man gets to be back in community with his God. Have you realized, church? Like like how the leper realized? Jesus, you 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 told me. You told me to go to the priest. But you, Jesus, you're you're the grace, you're the great high priest, aren't you? And Jesus looks at him, winks in. Mm-hmm. When the nine would have went to the temple, something complex—a complex a complex procedure would have taken place that happens in Leviticus 14. You can go home and read Leviticus 14 yourself, but I'll summarize it for you today. The priests would examine the leper, and if he is found clean, what would happen is the priest would take two birds. Then he would take some settled wood and a scarlet piece of yarn, and he would put those things into a pot of water. What the priest would do next is he will get one of the birds and he will kill that bird and drain all of its blood into this pot. And then the priest will take this other bird who's still alive and, and dip that bird in that bloody pot. And then he will get a hyssop plant and then he will sprinkle that bird seven times. And, and that's significant because the number seven in the Jewish culture represents perfect and, and whole. And to cap off this, 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 this ceremony, the priest would then pick a lamb, slaughter the lamb as a sin offering, and then the priest would let this live bird that's still alive go out in the fields and fly away. Now that's, that's a very bizarre ritual, right? But that ritual needs to be done in order for these lepers to be declared clean, But it's a bizarre and a weird ceremony, don't you think? What is being presented here, church? Let me tell you, the gospel is being presented here. The process to clean physical leprosy requires settled wood. But the process to clean spiritual leprosy requires a wooden cross at Calvary. There was a hyssop plant present in the cleaning of a leper, but there was also a hyssop plant present in the crucifixion of Christ when he was hung out there, left to dry and die. When Jesus says, I thirst, the soldiers then took a sponge, tied it to a hyssop plant and gave it to Jesus to drink. To clean a leper, yes, there is a scarlet yarn present, but what does that scarlet yarn even represent? What does it even signify? You can find this answer in Isaiah 1 verse 18. It says, come now, let us settle this matter, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they will be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. The colour of the scarlet yarn represents sin. So what does it take what does it make to make a sinner clean as white as snow it requires a sacrifice of a lamb the lamb of God was sacrificed on our behalf now in that ceremony there was two birds two birds one bird dies but the other one stays alive What does that mean? Can you not realize it was Jesus who took our place? It was Jesus who took our punishment. It was Jesus that took our death, our wrath. It was Jesus that takes our place. And in return, He gives us His place. A place of right standing before the Father. A place of of life so so we can live and so we can be set free. Do you not see that, church? It was Jesus that first came to you and looked upon you. Not with with any fear or disgust at your sins. No, He looks with you with love and compassion. And He moves towards you. Not once did ever did Jesus turn His face away from you. And He heals us from a disease far worse than, than leprosy. It's called sin. It was He was the one who who the curse of sin and death as He was lifted upon a tree to become a curse. The Bible says, He who knew no sin became sin so that we can become the righteousness of God. It was at that moment as the wrath of God was being poured out into the sun and as the sun absorbed all of that sin of the world, my sin, your sin. It was at that point that God the Father turned away from His Son. Because He was rejected, you and I were accepted. Because of His wound, we were healed. Because of His blood, we were cleansed. So we can stand before the Father, sinless, faultless, blameless, perfect and whole. Jesus is our great High Priest. And if you're here tonight and you're just feeling just a bit distant away from Jesus right now, I'm here to tell you, come back. Go back. Just like the leper who came back to Jesus. Jesus wants you to come back. Some of you may ask, where can I search for Jesus, Dexter, I'll tell you exactly where you left him. The story of the prodigal son, as the son leaves the father, runs away from home, squander his wealth, mess up his life, but then returns home. Where did he find the father? Right where the son left him. Come back to Jesus right where you left him. Because Jesus is always waiting with open arms, waiting to embrace you. And when you come back and meet Jesus again, and you come face to face with the Lord, your Saviour, what can you bring? Nothing. What can you do? Absolutely nothing. All you can do is like this leper has done. Because this leper knows he has nothing. He's got nothing. he got no works or merits. He has no righteousness apart from Christ himself. Nothing can to contribute, nothing of worth or value. But all he could do when he faces Jesus was throw his face on the floor beneath the feet of Jesus and cry out in worship to Him. So church, that's your only response that you can do is to worship the Lord Jesus your God and so let's church let's let's worship him and God bless you